Hello and welcome back to Game of Moans, the podcast where we are dissecting each and every episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, our very own mountain, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. And we are finally at season four. We are approaching the halfway mark of this show. Yeah. Um, yeah. I said we, we we had a bit of a slog last season. I think we, we got to a point where it became more of a chore than we than it was possibly worth um, uh, going through it. But I think end of the last season, it picked up. Um, things were sort of looking up a bit. We thought we could write and we can get into it. I'm quite pumped. And having now gone back and watched this episode last night, I'm, I'm feeling okay again. Um, plenty to discuss, <laughs> but I think there's, uh, there's, there's, there's some work to be done. But I think, you know, by and large, it, it didn't feel like as, as, as hard a slog as most of the last season. Uh, certainly not as season openers go, I don't think. Um in general, it you know we're not in for any surprises here. Now this is the fourth time we've watched a season opener for this show. They've all been very similar. It's all been kind of a whistle stop tour of every character yes. to see where they are at the start of this season. Even though in some cases it seems to be that you know very little time has passed since the end of the last season. In other cases, as usual, it seems like there's been quite a bit. Um, certainly, yeah. the dragons have grown again. Um, yeah, there's sort of mini buses now. Yeah. And so, like, they are like, no, whereas, like we joked last season, they were like Teenage Mutant Ninja Dragons. They'd grown up a lot in that summer break. This year, it's like they've got the attitude to go with it as well. And we'll talk about that um, when we get to the scene with them. But all of a sudden, they are pissing and moany little fucking teenage bitches. Yeah. And then, so, so I mean, that, that suggests there's been a period of time. But then, you know, when we pick up with John, he's, you know, it's feeling... Immediately after. Yeah, and and he's feeling the effects of of hearing about Rob's death and things. So it's as always the timeline is weird, but yeah, the episode is really just jumping around and kind of picking up with everybody. Um, yeah, but one thing I will say with that, though, I mean, normally when we have that's uh, we had it in season two, season three, it was like I think we referred to it as like the greatest hits tour, whereby yeah. they're just reminding everybody who everybody is and what they've been through thus far. This time there was a lot of that, but I think they introduced a few bits as well. I think they, they've they've set up a few things that are going to carry forward. Um, so I thought that was actually quite a quite an improvement, um, especially given the uh, Wonder Twins wrote and directed the episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, directed by Dickface. This one. Um, yeah, all the same as last time. Though. They they both did it. It's just for um, yeah uh, the um, the guild rules. Only one of them can have it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got some thoughts on the direction. I'll, I'll share them specifically when we get to those places. Um, but just in general, um, I feel like the direction this episode is pedestrian um, at best. Um, it's it's not bad. It's very rarely excellent. Um, but yeah. there is there is a specific scene which is very well handled. The rest of it, um, it's just kind of passable. There are a few kind of ear through the teeth moments there's a few um esther ransons as it were um <laughs> but you know by and large it's it's competent so yeah and, and i've said this before in episodes where they've directed actually um i think last season there was one or two um actually they they're not bad directors to be fair um or at least it's, they're it's not kind, now they're growing kind of, into it yeah it's kind of by numbers but it works yeah, I mean, they, they, they're competent. They really are. Um, they weren't at the start of the show, but you can see that they're growing into it a bit. Um, now, having said all of that, particularly we'll pick up with the direction in, with this first scene. What an oddly dour and lackluster opening scene 
for a whole season opener that this is just forging the sword um no for me this would have been better off starting the last episode of the last season rob is dead they've no, the war is effectively over so at this point this is your symbolic gesture that yeah you, or, or you, you, even... you take ned's i mean ned's been dead for three fucking years at this point yeah and only now you're melting down his sword and setting fire to his cloak you know uh, so I mean, it's it, it is odd. It's it is odd as a as a place to start from. Um, it's interesting because there's um, a featurette. Now um, I watched. I, I've got the series the series on iTunes. And there's a featurette after the episode, and there's a little thing which I don't know if it's on the, the Blu-ray and the DVD, but it says, you know, "Stick around after the episode for some behind-the-scenes crap." And they specifically talk about this scene and um, the last scene with Arya um, in this episode, which we'll talk about later on. Um, this great symbolism is supposed to be attached with the fact that you know they're melting down the Stark sword, they you know they're they're burning away the last of the Stark legacy and all this sort of, this that and the other. And it's almost as if that somebody's gone, look, you can have, you can do a bit of actual film, a bit of TV work with this, and you know, do a bit of theme work and a bit of stuff that you know, again likens it to a literary text. And they've gone, oh yeah, we like that, we'll do that, and then not really known how to fucking do it. Uh, yeah. Um, you're ex- yeah, I think you're exactly right with that. This is clearly something that would work very well on the written page. It is something that would work very well, I think, on film, mm. were it more competently directed. And as I say, you know, most of this episode is fine. But this scene specifically, as we said with a lot of scenes last season, it's A, it's in the wrong place. Yeah. And B, because we are now so far removed from seeing Ned's sword and Ned's cloak, we need more signifying information to understand what is going on here. Well, this is because the assumption is going to be that it's Rob's sword, because Rob's the one I who just genuinely it. thought it was, until now, you pointed out to me that it was Ned's. It's only because I remember it from the from first time around, but it's only because I was when I was looking through uh, iTunes yesterday to get to this season, I saw the, the, the poster image for season one, and Ned is there on the Iron Throne with his sword in his hand, and it's that hilt. And that's the only reason I realised, because at no point do they mention it's Ned's sword and it's Ned's cloak. So why it wouldn't be Rob's when Rob is the one they've just fucking offed, I don't yeah. know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any keep no, to keep it around for three fucking seasons and then do it to start season four when the Starks now have fuck all agency in, in this show. Yeah, it makes very little sense whatsoever. Um it's just it's poorly signified is is the problem um i i understand the sentiment behind it but it is very very poorly signified yeah and as you said it's in the wrong fucking place yeah um even even if they'd done it at the start of season two or the start of an episode in late season two early season three when no we are talking about the starks and the war and all the rest of it that would have been fine but at this point the starks are done you know there will be no more stark children yeah. So you know, it's 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 like you know, we we can't know. There's there's no relevance to it now. There's, the Starks aren't a threat anymore to the Lannisters or to the throne. So what's the fucking point? Yeah, it's it's just a weird weird opening. I, as you say, it definitely feels more more like something you would have as a note of finality. Like maybe even if you'd had it at the end of last season. Um, but as well as being weird, it's so badly fucking edited. Like the cut to the credits is yeah disgusting and it's not the visual it's the audio because they literally it, it's like somebody stops one theme and starts the other 
they just yeah that that didn't really i mean it didn't i i, I picked it up twice I, I watched the start of it yesterday morning and at the stop um and so i put it on again last night when the kids were in bed and i didn't notice it the first time but the second time of watching it i was like oh fucking hell what did you do that for it's so and jarring it, so, i mean at this point again where this is episode 31 they know what the theme song sounds like so fucking if you're having something composed build into it yeah yeah That's oh, it, common it's... fucking sense it's terrible. Or close the scene off and then and, and then do something the else. But I mean, there are a million and one ways around that. And I mean, Jesus. That, none Christ. of them were what they did. No. Well, they didn't even try, did they? They just fucking no, smashed just cut the theme. Uh, it's just horrible. Absolutely horrible. And it just makes the scene seem all the worst. It just seems like it doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, so that's all bad. We're off to a bad start as far as I'm concerned. Thankfully, the next scene is very, very good. Um, we get this this uh, interaction between Jamie then and Tywin. Um, and there's this talk of Jamie wanting to return to the Kingsguard. And that tells us a lot, I think, about Jamie as a character. Yeah. He doesn't, even though he's had his hand cut off and Tywin's now effectively telling him he's useless and he needs to just live off his legacy and yeah, sort retire. of retire he will not do it he is a man of honor through and through he has sworn an oath to the king's guard and he is determined to carry it through and then we also get the line from him that you know they even discuss his honor and he says my bloody honor is beyond repair yeah you know again as we've said before he knows exactly who he is and who he's seen to be and it pains him um which makes him work all the harder to try and regain it, and he just will not rest on his laurels. We we learn a lot about Jamie, I think, in in this scene. I think um, in this episode in general, actually, we get quite a lot of quite a lot of Jamie. Um, I think there are three definite sequences with him, aren't there? Yes. Um, and I think in every one of them, we learn something more about his character. We we just get something, just just a little, even if it's just something subtle that we haven't had before. And I think as we get to those scenes, we'll we'll talk about them in more depth. But it's just every every one of them. I mean, you've you've always been um a fan of Jamie. And I I've I've always liked him, but it's always been a case of, well, I like him, but you know, he's not really one of my favourites and I could be fucked if he dies. Um but the more we get to see him, the the more you sort he sort of grows into this this role that people you know you can actually engage with and actually you know empathize with a bit. And I think this episode there are so there are three sequences. There's this one with Tywin, there's one with Cersei and one with Brienne. And every one of those, you'll just learn a little bit more about his his character rather than the character he is playing. Um, and it's 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 a good insight, I think. And uh, Nicola Castor-Walder does it very well. He does. Um, there's also a scene with Joffrey. Um, oh yes, sorry, which, I forgot about that one. Which, yeah, which I, again, I like that scene. I'll tell I'll tell you I, what I, you get there. Yeah, probably the same reason I did, and I didn't even realise, uh, if I'm honest, that it existed. Um, yes. But having seen it this time, yeah, very good scene, very well handled. Um, so, yeah, I think this is good. Um, it speaks volumes of Jamie's character. Uh, and then, obviously, the scene ends with, with Tywin, essentially, with a veiled threat, which, you know, he's he's proving to be very good at, where he says to him, you know, a one-handed man with no family needs all the help he can get, essentially saying, if you don't do what I'm saying, you are cut off. Yeah, uh, and, and I mean, it, it comes later on in the scene with Cersei, where he, he says, father disowned me. Yeah, and he he knows what it means, and um, I think part of it is that the the three of them, the three the three Lannister children, all know he's fucking ruthless, and he you know he gets his own way, but none of them quite take him seriously when he start when he makes these threats, because I think they don't know. I think that it's he's a sort of character you they've grown up being threatened with things, and they never really materialize. And okay, they know he he made Cersei marry um, oh fucking hell, 
What was his name? Loris. No, the first one, Mark Addy. Oh, um, <laughs> I his fucking Jesus. Name. Yeah, yeah, the king. Um, Robert. Robert. Yeah, Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, he, like that was no. He, like he met, he first he forced her to do that. And we talked about that last season where they should think of no, don't make me do that again and all the rest of it. So no, we we know there are these parts of it, but no, this whole thing of you know he didn't drown Tyrion at birth. Which you know, he said he should have done, and all this sort of stuff. So we know that there there are things that he won't do, and this looks like another empty threat. It's a you know, yes. you know, you, you, know you'll, you won't have your family. Well, of course he fucking will, because there is family, especially Cersei, because you know, he's been fucking her for twenty years. Um, so you know, it's it's that sort of thing. So I mean, it's you you learn a lot more about them as a family than you have than you have in in the. We've had some quite heavy exposition scenes about them as a family in the past, um, especially in the last. Um, episode where we um, where you have the exchange with Tyrion and Tywin um after a small council meeting um and we get you no know, things about their history and stuff like that and that's great but you don't really learn anything other than what they tell us and this week it's all implied but you think fucking hell I don't I actually learned something and I, I actually see what they're trying to do what they're trying to do I'd imagine given how politic he is it's from the from the book but even so it's you know, something that's you no know, the Wonder Twins haven't gone out of their way to write explicitly on the page and have them recite verbatim. Yeah, and and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there where you said that previously there's been a lot of talk about what's gone on in the past, but, you know, here we're being shown. Um, we're yeah. seeing these discussions and we're getting beneath the skin of the characters. It is very much show, don't tell, so it's interesting and engaging. Yeah. Whereas when they're just talking about things that have gone before unless they're going to directly inform what's about to happen, it isn't really very interesting to us. Um, And, you know, on on that note, the very next scene, I've just written, oh, fucking joy, more talk of houses and sigils. Um, Because we get a whole thing with Tyrion just calling out flags and sigils. Or actually, I think it's Pod that's calling them out, isn't it? Pod, yeah, it's Pod. Yeah. yeah. But again, it's sort of rescued by um, Bronn. Yeah. Um, so we get the dull shit which we've had so many times with the Starks, um, particularly with Arya and um, Bran in the first season. Um, so we've had we've had that, but then interspersed with that is Bron just not giving two fucks, and he's yeah. you know, I, th- I think his response is along the lines of, you know, "This is why when you know, when strangers meet, they should meet in a tavern because at least this way, when, while somebody's waiting, they can have a drink." Um, yeah. And yeah, it's you know, it's. It's it's it, that for me that's what breaks up this scene and the fact that you've got Tyrion and Bronn sparring with each other as they normally do, and then Pod being Pod because you've got fuck all else to do. Um, it was it was it was that side of it was interesting. It was interesting what they tried to do, but the way they executed it, I was just bored shitless again. I mean, that no, was it yeah, four or five issue. different fucking flags, and then you get these guys turn up and they say, oh yeah, he didn't come. He didn't come with us. He came last night because he, he didn't want to be welcomed. Um, well. Yeah, I'm just fucking bored. That's that's all the information we needed, really, and I, and I like that. I like it as an introduction to Oberyn. Um, yeah. You know, especially with the stuff that we get coming next as well. It's like we already know a little bit about him before we meet him. Yeah. Like you know, there's everybody's waiting for him. There's this whole sort of welcoming party out, and he's just rocked up the night before, unannounced, got into the city completely undetected. Um, yeah. it just tells it's cracked on with stuff. Yeah, Oberyn's a fucking badass. I I love yeah. him. I he is. He, I've got to, go I was gonna say. I've got to before we move on as well. The end of the the, the last line of the scene, um, where he hasn't turned up, and Bronn says, oh, it, "How are you going to find one Dornishman in, in in the city?" And Tyrion says, "No, oh, you're famed for fucking half half the kingdom. Where do you think he's going to go?" And Bronn says, "Well, I'd go to bed, but that's just because I'm getting old." And that just 
from because it came out of fucking nowhere, and that just made, had me laughing for a good thirty seconds. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Again, funny line, and it just tells you everything about those characters, doesn't it? In, in, in yeah. the space of a few lines. So, so yeah, it's a good introduction to Oberyn before we actually get his introduction. And as I say, Oberyn is a character that I liked instantly, and still like instantly when we meet when I'm meeting him here again for the for the yes. second time out. Um, I will have a lot to say about Oberyn over the course of this season. Yeah, um, there will be specific scenes with Oberyn that um, you'd best strap yourself in for, I think, because I'm gonna go a bit apeshit. Um, <laughs> but for now, look, here he is. He's shot up. I I just like him a great deal. He's got kind of echoes of Arya's dancing master, and it's not just because yes. they've got that kind of Spanish accent and they and, and the dodgy goatee. Yeah, and and that they you know they're both kind of fleet of foot and and sword masters and stuff like that. He he does just have that same kind of air of a swashbuckler about him, I guess, yes. which which I just love. He's got that easy confidence and charisma, um, and it, yeah, it just excellent. He's he's magnetic to watch. He yes. really is. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we 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 are introduced to him in the brothel. Um, tits. No, tits and ass and fannies everywhere. This was interesting because you start off, and I rem- I was watching it, um, and they, you know, you're, you're moving around the, the three the three prostitutes, and they're all fully clothed. And I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on here? Is is this the point where the contract negotiation started, and people like me, the clerk, said, "Hang on, fuck that, we ain't getting naked anymore. It's not necessary." And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe no, there's no, there's going to be a little bit more sensitivity, a little bit more no, fucking story involved than just tits. And then, lo and behold, two of them are tits out straight away. I thought, fucking hell, you've set me up to let me down yet again. Don't get me wrong, I like tits, but they serve no purpose in this fucking app, in this scene or in this story. You could totally have this exact same scene without anyone being naked. Yeah. The scene, it, it, I, I like what the scene is saying and the relationship it sets up, you know, but it, it, we, we just don't need any of these girls to be naked. I, no, not, not at all. It's completely gratuitous, but nevertheless, as you say, they're not hard on the eye. But it's, it's just typical of the attitude of this show, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's, and, we, and so we can have naked girls, so let's have naked girls. Yeah. So obviously, Tyrion then shows up. We get a discussion um, about why Oberyn's there, and we start to learn a bit of their history, and we we start to get the first inkling of this vengeance arc. That, that the Martells yes. have going for them. And it is just another wonderful story hook that I really, really got into. Yeah. I got really invested in that they just fucking pissed away. Well, yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that in the next, I think it's the next of two seasons that runs for, isn't it? Um, yep. I but, enjoy yeah, it very much for the time well, that we have it. Yeah. Um, I did like as well, there's a scene where you've got the two Lannister soldiers singing the, um, the Reigns of Castamere, which obviously, um, Oberyn takes offence at, yes. um, and you have this whole altercation where, again, much like um, Sir Pharrell, he just completely fucking dis- no, he disarms one. He says, "Look, you, you can try and kill me, and I'll kill you, and then he bleeds to death, or you can help your mate." And he's just again completely fucking nonchalant about it. I don't care. I'll kill you both. It doesn't really mean anything to me. Or you can, no, I can spare your life because yeah, fuck it, it doesn't really bother me one way or the other. And then obviously Tyrion turns up, and the um, the two guys fuck off. But again, it again just sets him up very nicely. And as you were saying, it, it sets up the fact he is—he you know, is a bit of a badass. And we're going—we're going to go into this arc where um, and we find—we find in in this next scene that he he has a, a vendetta against um, against the mountain. 
Um, so it, it, it's, it sets him up nicely that all we've got suddenly we've got this threat coming in that, mm-hmm. okay, the mountain's fucking huge and he's vicious, but being huge and vicious doesn't necessarily make you the best fighter. And you've got somebody who's just shown he's very fucking quick at hand and vicious with it. Mm. There could actually be a real contest here. And obviously that's setting up to something later on. Yeah, um, I, I enjoy this arc very, very much. Um, and, and a big part of that is Oberyn's character as well. You know, the arc is interesting. It's it's quite clear cut, um, which is something in this show as well, to be fair. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say that, I mean, I get it's 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 a through line from the from the books. I think it starts at this point. I don't think it starts any earlier in the books. I don't think it's a case of they've sort of gone, oh, fuck, we should do that now. Um, I think it starts quite no, quite late in the books anyway. Um, but yeah, it's all of a sudden, right, okay, well, this is something we want to explore. Now, we've done this first bit. I think I talked in the last episode about how George R. R. Martin also envisaged, envisaged it as being a trilogy of trilogies. So this is the start of the second trilogy. So now he's like, right, we do need to introduce new things that are going to run for the next three three books. And however many seasons that will take, we don't know. Um, so we are now seeding new things. We've talked about the Martels before in passing. They've been mentioned, yeah. um, but not we've not really had much to do with them. So all of a sudden we're now introducing people that have been mentioned and we go, oh, right, okay, yeah, I remember that. That was talked about in, in season two. And then they forgot all about it. Um, so there's things there are no there are things they are starting to do the same with um, no the um, as we when we get to the scene with um, with John and um, the Night's Watch where they're saying about the, the wildlings won't all come together and how Mance has unified them all we've, we've been told that before but it's easy to forget because we haven't seen it for so long so they are starting to pick at things and go right okay we are now going to these are things that we need to move forward because in the next in the next couple of episodes the next season of season and a half they're actually going to start paying dividends we need these. So I don't know. Maybe somebody's picked, no, pulled them aside and gone, "Look, is film school for dummies? Is making a fucking TV show for dummies? Read it in your in your close season, and work out what the fuck you're doing, and yeah. try and try and work out where you can get this in now to seed it, so it doesn't come as a complete fucking shock later on because it does not mean anything." Yeah, um, it's as you say, it's almost like. I don't know if it's so much somebody's gotten film school for dummies as somebody's actually realised, Jesus Christ, we're almost halfway through this show like you need to start pulling this shit together yeah unfortunately when they're still having that conversation in season eight then we've got fucking problems yeah but um, we'll get to that in a couple of years time in a couple of years time yeah um so yeah th- there's our introduction to oberin martel um we'll see a lot more of him over the course of this season and i'm happy with that i mean i guess the only other thing to pick up on this scene is Again, um, we've already said how great Bronn was in the last scene, but uh, the chemistry between Bronn and Oberyn in this scene is very yes. good as well. They hit yes. it off pretty much instantly. Yeah. Um, and, and again, perfect lines for perfect situations. Um, yes. I was, uh, are you his pet, ki- his pet killer? Well, I started and now I'm a knight. Well, how did that happen? Killed the right people. And it's just he just doesn't. Again, he doesn't give a fuck. And he doesn't care that he's talking to a prince. And he doesn't care who he's talking in front of. I'll say what I want because fuck it, that's what I do. And if it upsets people, tough shit. And you can see Oberyn respond to that straight away as well. You know, that's, yeah, yeah they, they get on pretty much from the offset. Yeah. It, um, it, it's, it's that no nonsense thing of, all right, fair enough. You know, it's a spade, you call it a spade, let's move on. Yeah. So, yeah, I, like all of that stuff, it's all good. It's yeah. a good introduction all, for the character. Yeah. All entertaining. All good stuff. Um, okay, so over we go to Danny then, and like we said, just how fucking fast do these dragons grow? Because they they apparently have shot up in the space of 
I guess weeks is what I'm feeling like this is. Yeah, I mean it it's it's not immediate, but it's it's close enough. I mean the these sequences with Danny at the moment, they annoy the piss out of me just because they they're going, Oh, look how many extras we haven't got, so look how many fucking people we're we're CGIing into every shot. You know, fucking rows and rows and rows of people and this fucking marching horde. This entirely pointless bit I mean I still I'm not entirely sure of the point of having the, the two dragons fighting over a sheep. Because I mean, they they don't do anything with that for f- fucking ages, as far as I'm aware. And even when they do lock, eventually lock them up to um, to try and control them, that lasts for about five minutes, and then they get them out again. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like we were talking. About, I was saying in the last scene that they started seeding things that are going to come up later on in the show, but they're they're also seeding things that go fucking nowhere. And this is something that's going to be a constant gripe for the next four and a half seasons. Yeah, and it's also a case of, I mean, I think that's there just so they can do some cool shit with the dragons. Yeah, it's just Um, to show off the CGI. Yeah, Uh, okay, fine. But the problem is, and and we're going to talk about seeding quite a lot in this episode and and foreshadowing, and some of what is in this episode, uh, both in terms of payoff, as as with Oberyn, um, and in terms of seeding, as we'll talk about in a few scenes' time. A lot of it's very, very good. But then every time you get something like that, you get something like this with the dragons, where, yes, they have the fight over the goat, and then we get a line, they're dragons. They can never be tamed, um, <laughs> except that that is exactly what Danny does over the course of the next couple of seasons, and they yeah. seem to forget that this conversation ever happened, because taming them is exactly what she does. But not only that, I mean, even in this very scene, it, it, that that follows, that line follows um, the, the two that aren't being fucking snuggled, um, fly, you know, fly back and they're fighting in midair over this sheep carcass. And then they drop it in front of her, as you know, like a cat would do with a dead, you know, a dead fucking bird or whatever. And then the one that's on her lap, or it's got his head in her lap, goes for it. She tries to calm it down and it turns around and fucking barks at her. Now, if it wasn't tame, it'd have ripped her fucking throat out. Yeah. So she's already tamed them. They're already fucking domesticated. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a redundant fucking line and a redundant point because it goes fucking nowhere again. Yeah, the whole scene is just to go, oh, remember the dragons? Here yeah, they just, are. just in case you've forgotten the thing that made us cool. We yeah. got dragons, bitches. Yeah, so that's it's a fucking nothing scene. Um um, instead, we're over to Tyrion and Sansa very quickly, um, which is which is good. It's a good scene. Um, I like everything that Sansa does a great deal this episode. It's a good episode yeah. for her, and we'll talk about the other stuff as it comes up. Yeah. Um, but Tyrion's offer of help to her feels genuine. It, it's a heartfelt offer. And, and, and I really like the kind of uneasy relationship between the two of them it, it's well, it's got a genuine kind of air of tragedy to it almost the, as if like you know these, these two could could in in decades maybe learn to love each other um, yeah but the, they the, never the, will there's some there's an affinity there which you know that at the moment certainly from from both well, on both parties begrudging though he he didn't want to marry her he's, he has no interest in her she's a child but she is somebody who is a person and should be respected and has been through a lot and you know, he doesn't want to compound her misery and all the rest of it. So that's good. And from her point of view, he's you know, he's a fucking pun- another punishment because her father was apparently a traitor. No, so I mean it's it's interesting. But then Tyrion and we've talked about this before. Tyrion is Tyrion is very good with the words. He always knows what to say. He always knows how to say it. And this is the first of two occasions I can remember in the entire fucking show that 
other one being the very uh, the very last episode he's in, um, where you get where she says he says I want to help. How can you help? I don't know, and it's it's his whole demeanor shrinks because he's always the one with the answers. He yeah. drinks and he knows things. He knows everything, but he doesn't know that, yeah. and that really eats at him because he won't. Well, he wants to be a decent person. He wants to. You know, he is compassionate. He feels for her. He, you know, he, he doesn't want to see her suffering, but he doesn't know how to put an end to it. And I think at some point in our lives, we all feel like that. We all feel like there's something we, we sh- we could do for other people. We should do for other people. We don't know what it is. Yes. And it's just the you know, the fact that he's always so fucking confident, and he's got so many words to spew, and he's just he's just completely lost. And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, they they're great and, together, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. She she does bring that out in him. Um, yes, it, yeah, they're great, and and this is a great scene. But as much as it's good for him because it it knocks him down to that point where he doesn't know. What I really love here is she gets to take agency in the scene. Finally, yes, you know we we get the line from her um, where she says, "I don't pray anymore, but it's the only place where people don't talk to me." Yes, it, it's it's a hint that actually she is aware of what's going on and she is in charge of her own destiny. She is actively removing herself from these situations. That's her yeah. choice. She's yes. taking agency. And it's about fucking time. Well, yeah. And I mean, we, you know, we, we talked last season about Sansa where she, you know, season one, she was a vacuous little princess. Season two, she started to grow a bit of spine. And season three, she regressed to probably further back than she was at the start of season one. So yeah, it is about time we see her grow up a little bit. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, it's it's done very well. And obviously, the the other sequence she's in later on in the episode is very good as well. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, excellent stuff for her later on. Um, I, I like her stuff in this episode a great deal, and I think this is probably the start now of her, yeah, uh, of her arc proper. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember reading something. I think it was between season six and seven, or seven and eight, whereby um, it was an article somewhere about why she's actually one of the more important characters because she's so mishandled and starts and she's so fucking poorly handled for the first fight of the first three seasons she's everybody hates her because she's so fucking useless and then all of a sudden she just chips away and so she she gains a bit of agency she starts doing things and actually her actions have consequences for other people that all of a sudden we start seeing that we start seeing her affecting the overall story but because everyone overlooks her um, because she was so fucking useless to begin with, it sort of creeps up on you to the point that when you get to some of her bigger moments later on, you don't see them coming at all. You think, fuck, where did that come? No, why is she all of a sudden doing that? But actually she's been picking away at it for about a year or so before you get to that point. So it's really interesting. If I can dig it out, I'll I'll post a link to it because it was quite a good article. Yeah. Um, As as we've mentioned many times in the show before, you know, um, her arc and, and what she grows into um is is one of the best in the show i think it, it yeah. just starts way later than than it should um because these last three seasons she has just been thrown away um yeah. as a character and offensively so i think yes. um but yeah she's starting to come around here um next scene um we've got another scene with jamie where he's getting his hand fitted and again show don't tell you know and and this we learn so much about him here just from his response to the hand. He looks at it and it's clearly a very expensive artisan, well-manufactured hand. And he just looks at it and says, well, a hook would be more practical. Yeah. And, you know, off the back of the scene that he's just had with Tywin, where he's threatened him with, with taking everything away. 
He's going to lose everything. And Jamie's basically saying, I don't care. I'm a fighter. I belong in the King's Guard. Yeah. And you get that here as well. You get like, yes, we have so much money that I can have a solid gold hand with intricate flowery detail on it. But yeah. I'm a fighter. Give me a hook. Yeah. Although it would be a fucking good bludgeon. It, it would. And it's probably fucking heavy. Yeah. Um, but again, I like the way it's handled. That you know, he, he, he says that no, a hook would be more practical. And so she says, oh, I, I spent days with the, the finest artisans designing that. And he sort of raised an eyebrow. She said, oh, well, like half a day. And again, it's just this this whole thing between them. Everything's very casual. Nothing's overly serious, um, especially in, in company. But yeah, it, it was just, again, it's it just a nice start to the scene. Um, and then we get um, a bit more sort of revelation about them. And um, his thing about... Um, you know, his thing about not wanting to leave was because he didn't want to leave Cersei. That's not, no, he's not the only wanted to be in the King's Guard. It's just he didn't want to move away from Cersei. Um, so again, it's not, we're seeing that, no, he is a loyal character. We, it's been alluded to before, but no, there's, there's a loyalty to him, and that will come up time and time again with Jamie. Um, and that's worth remembering when we get to season eight as well. Yes. And absolutely. I will bring that up in season eight as well. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was an interesting thing. I mean, Cersei's response, um, Cersei wound me. I wanted to yeah. fucking throw something at the screen. In the I, scene. No, I normally like Cersei. Um, well, what a spiteful bitch she is in this scene. Yeah. Like, and, and out of character in a way as well, I feel. Yes. Like, she's always... I mean, she, is, she can be flat out evil and manipulative, yes, but she is just being a spiteful bitch here for the sake of being a spiteful bitch. Like, attacking Jamie for taking too long is just a dick move. Well, yeah, I know. As I said, he didn't want to get captured. He didn't want to have his hand cut off. He did everything he could to get back. He killed people. He, you know, he escaped twice. The second time he got caught, he had his hand cut off. He then went, he, you know, he performed a valiant act of going back to save Brienne from a fucking bear. Yeah. Um, which I read this week was an actual bear. Um, it was a, you know, a real bear in a real bear pit with her at the same time. It was, you no, know, they, they, they didn't sort of trick shoot it, which was quite, quite impressive. Um, so, you know, he, he did all this stuff to get back to her. And then, yeah, she just throws it back in his face. Oh, you took too long. I said, well, fuck me. What do you want? It's, it's a dick move. And like I say, the thing with Cersei is as evil as she is, there's generally always a motive behind it. You know, much yeah. like with, Jamie, when we, when we say about some of the horrible things that he does, he always knows why he's doing them. Yes. Um, but this is just being spiteful for the sake of being spiteful. And it just, I don't know, it didn't sit right with me. I feel like bearing in mind this is the man she loves. Um, yeah. And her brother, her lover, the father of her children, who she's been very concerned about for the last two seasons. Yeah, now he's just, back. She's like, oh, well, fuck and you. And now he's back and injured. To just dig him out like this just yeah. seems... It didn't sit right with me no, at all. It, yeah, you're right. It's completely out of character. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I didn't like that at all. But I did like Jamie in the scene a great deal, as I say, yes. talking about the hook and things. Again, he speaks volumes for his character. Um. Yeah. So next on The Greatest Hits to uh, um, Egret. Egret without John is wonderful here. I mean, look, I... You know I'm gonna sing her praises anyway, but but what they do with Egret's character here is is just great. She's she's great with John. I feel like she's even better now without him because this is one of the few times in this show, and I mean it, it is one of the few times that you see actual growth in a character. She's yeah. been through an experience with John and it has changed her. She is yeah. in a bad mood. She is sullen. She is 
just she's just as determined and just as spunky for want of a better word but in a totally different way she's now got edges yeah and it makes perfect sense like that joyful exuberance that she had where she was flirting and winding john up and just even laying into the rest of the guys and being you know one of the boys with the wildlings it's all gone yeah she's just got this gritty resolve about her now you know when her delivery of the line i'm not anybody's yeah it's just like you know fuck you i've been hurt no one's ever hurting me again yeah and it comes through in that performance um it's there in the writing but it's elevated by the performance yeah um, brilliant stuff brilliant stuff and it's the type of thing this show doesn't do that it should that we're constantly complaining about this is a character that has been on a narrative journey and has taken that experience and moved forward with it. Yes. And that's what every character should do. Yeah, and unfortunately most don't. No, um, John doesn't. Because when we see him, he's just talking about Rob. Yeah. Now, now, don't get me wrong, Rob's his brother. Of course, his death is going to affect him. But he's also just had to leave the woman he loves on yeah. very bad terms with a couple of fucking yeah. arrows in him. Yeah, that's, no, that's kind of important. But Very much so. It doesn't That's seem it. to have made any difference to him. And 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 whilst I'm gonna, you know, I, I moaned about how, how Rob's death doesn't seem to have any impact, and so it is at least nice to hear John talking about him. I I'll touch on why I don't think it's right shortly. But whilst it's nice to at least seeing it being being acknowledged for John's story and John's character, it is far more important for us to hear about how all of the business with Egret has affected him, because that's what should move him forward. Oh, yeah. Um, However, you know, him talking about Rob, to me, was just a bit like, what the fuck? It was a bit of a facepalm moment, bearing in mind the last time something like this happened, he was going to desert the Night's Watch and had to be talked back. Now, all of a sudden, he's just wistfully staring into the fucking middle distance and reminiscing about what a great brother Rob was. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Shouldn't he be out for vengeance? Like, he's he's a fighter, and he's a hothead, as we've seen. Like, he, he should again, be raging here. <laughs> and, and again, like, no, when, when Ned was executed, Ned, no, there was a quote-unquote justification for it. Ned was a traitor. Ned was plotting against the king. Therefore, no, there was, there was an answer to it. Rob was betrayed by his own fucking lieutenant. And massacred in an ambush. That's the sort of thing you no, you go for vengeance for because that's people taking liberties with your fucking family, not yes. your father committing a crime, getting caught and being executed for it. I know, I know it's the difference between father and brother and all the rest of it, but still, you know, that's your that's where your family have been hard done by. That's where you fucking go for it. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like if this is what you're going to show us with John, rather than him dealing with Egret, then again we have to see how the previous sort of things that have gone on have affected him and i don't think he try and desert again because he tried to do that and was talked back so you don't do it again because you think oh well that didn't work last time or whatever yeah Um, i mean especially given the the trouble he's already in at this point as well he's not gonna fucking run away is he no but again there is an opportunity for character growth here where he needs he's needs to have vengeance in his belly which we never really get Throughout the rest of the season, now this is it. He, this is him, not just the season, throughout the show. This is him making his peace with Rob. This scene, this yeah, is it. Just, right? yeah. This is it. He never goes out for blood. He should, absolutely should. Okay, he should be carrying this vengeance in his belly. And for now, for now, at the very least, he needs to turn that rage inward onto the Night's Watch. They are stopping him. 
from going out and getting his vengeance because he's sworn this oath and it stopped him from helping. He should at this point, particularly bearing in mind what happened last season with Egret, where we realized that the Night's Watch are not whiter than white or blacker than black, if you like. Yeah. Um, he should be questioning fucking everything now at this point. Why yes. is he there? Is this the right place for him? Are these people the right people to defend the wall? Are they capable of it? Should he be doing more? These are all questions that as a leader, which is what he's going to grow into becoming, and this is where that starts, these are questions he should be asking. He's now the head of the family, like it or not. He's a bastard, yes, but he's now the oldest child. Yeah. Like, even though, okay, the line of succession is never going to recognize him, were the rest of the kids there, they would all look to him. Yeah. So, especially at this point, I don't forget as well. Everybody thinks that Bran and Rickon are dead. So I mean, on no, on on top on the on the back of the fact that um, on the back of the fact there's no this is the line of succession is there. There are no male heirs. So, so you know, from that point of view, there are no there there are no future Starks. The Stark line is about to die out. So no, the fact he, no, he, he's not going after. He's not going for vengeance. He's not going to try and do anything. It just doesn't fucking add up. No, absolutely not. I can understand him not going because he's in the Night's Watch. But we should see the effect of that now. Yeah. Had they skipped this all together, then I would be moaning about how Rob's death doesn't really mean anything. However, even with this, Rob's death still doesn't mean anything because we don't follow this through. No. So you may as well have just not fucking bothered and made yeah. it all about Egret, which is what's more interesting and works as a direct parallel to the scene that we've just had. Yes. Bad storytelling. Very, very bad storytelling. I, th um, I think it's it's one of those where, um, as you said, no, you, if it wasn't there, it'd be missed. But having half of it is probably worse than having none of it. I agree. Yes, that that's the issue. All of this stuff needs to feed into John. Egret and Rob, all of it needs to feed into John. Now, having said all of that, the scene where he's talking to the council is great. Yeah. And he's great in it. He's starting to get a little bit cocky. You yeah. know, when it when he answers back and says, oh, well, you must not have been very good then. Um, it's he's good, but it doesn't feel like the same character that we just had talking about no. Rob. He doesn't no, feel I'm, like all not, of a sudden he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulder. No, it feels like he's not a John we've seen. Cocksure. Yeah, it's not a John we've seen at any point. And it's, no. I, don't, I don't think it's a John we ever see again either. No, but he is he's very cocky. He's very full of himself in this scene. Yeah. I mean, um, and like we talked, we talked about before. You know, the fact that he's a, he's a bastard, and you no, know, he's always been raised. He's you no, know, he's been raised, and he's always known what he is, and he's treated as such by Cat, and then by you know, when he goes to the Night's Watch and all that stuff. So John is riddled with fucking self doubt and self loathing from day one, from minute one that we see him. Apart from in this scene where he swaggers in, fucking dick out and swinging, and he's the coolest cat in town. And it just doesn't. It does again. It, as a scene, it's good, but for his character, it's completely wrong again. No, it's completely off the wall. That um, he's no, he's going in. He's arguing back. John, no, John doesn't argue back. And John he's puts his head like, down and says, "Yeah, yeah." Where the fuck did that come from? It's like, I know. No. And like, like the thing with, um, I, I didn't recognize. It took me a while to recognize who um, uh, Janus Slint was. He's the guy who Tyrion sent north. Yeah, uh, I'd forgotten who he was. I recognised him. I was like, "Who oh, the fuck's this guy? He must have been in a night's watch." And then I, he he mentioned it. Who who he was? All oh, right, yeah, okay, that's who you are. But yeah, then John he says, oh, "I I was head of getting King's Guard. Oh, you can't be very fucking good, then, can you?" Yeah. Like, who, where, you? where did that come from? Who let, who let, who who let fucking Jimmy Carr in to start writing this writing the script? Yeah. You, you don't get you don't get witty retorts and comebacks from from John. That's not how it works. They come from Tyrion. 
Yeah. Occasionally brawn, and that's about it. We no, th- there's no room for pithy comebacks. But here's John fucking swinging away. It's great. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, but, but it's, <laughs> I love it's, that, it's John. completely it made me laugh character. out loud. It's a, but yeah, yeah it's but not it's playing completely against type. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, that's a fucking weird scene. Um, we <laughs> and, and then you get the fucking blind Dodriel Maester basically going against the uh, the council. Oh fuck it, yeah, you carry on, mate. You do what you like. Yeah, and off he goes. Um, which again, I liked. You know, I always like Maester Raymond because he's just fucking weird. Yeah. Um, then we we get a scene with Marjorie and Elena. Um, I mean, it's fine. It it really is just touching base with them. I think. Yeah, it, it's kind of a repeat of what we've had before, but it's. Like it's got one of my favourite lines of the episode. Again, it's just very, very funny. And I've said before how how much I like Marjorie, but when they're talking about the necklace, and she says, yeah. "Oh well, perhaps I should let Joffrey choose for me," and end up with a string of dead sparrows around my neck. Uh, I just thought that was very, very funny. It is, and again, fucking foreshadowing. Well, yes. Because who do we get well in the next done. series? We get the fucking high sparrow and his yeah. little sparrows. So again, things are starting to come together. And like, we we talked very briefly about the scene with Egret. What we didn't talk about is something else that's brought up now and then completely fucking thrown away again is the cannibals. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Because no, they come in. They come in, and we have this you know, minor altercation with the the other wild, you know, the other wildlings, and all the rest of it. And it ends with them roasting an arm on a spit. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Where the fuck does that go? Because I don't recall that ever coming up again. No, I don't think it does. Um, again, I think it's probably one of those things that maybe goes somewhere in the books. Maybe. Um, but yeah, doesn't really go anywhere, does it? No. Um, speaking of foreshadowing, though, the next scene we get this scene with Jamie and Joffrey. Yes. Um, now there's a lot of good stuff in here. First and foremost, what I like the most this this really is Jamie's episode through and through. Okay. Yes. Now the interplay between the two of them, he can see where Joffrey is going from a fucking mile off. He yeah. can see through him like he's a fucking window, um, and he's just he's just not rising to it. He's just sat back just going like you're an absolute little prick just yeah. carry on just just go for it i don't care he's not rising um yeah. but we get the book yeah no i've forgotten about the book i, so, I got really and, fucked off with the book at the end of season eight but no i didn't is. and i remember us having this argument off air or not argument but discussion off air and me saying that i quite liked it we'll be careful about spoilers yeah. but i quite liked that that tied into the end of Jamie's arc. Um, it's, it's the the mechanics I don't like, but we'll get to that in season eight. Yeah, I now I hadn't realised at that point because this scene is so throwaway, and we've mentioned this before in, in previous yeah. seasons. And we've seen some stuff that's apparently throwaway that really pays off. And seeing this book now, like fucking hats off, sirs. Like seriously, yeah. I like for all I criticise them. Um, like fucking hats off! I saw like nothing gets me more excited with, when I'm watching stuff than good fucking storytelling and good writing. Okay, things like this, things like this just make the fucking hairs on my arms stand up. I saw that book. Joffrey delivered the line about how little is in there about Jamie. Then you've got all of the stuff that he's constantly saying about how poor his reputation is and how he's just seen as the king slayer and that was all that i thought paid into it originally at, at yeah, the end same here. but then it's literally set up like this is the like he's been sort of teetering towards this redemption arc 
for most of the last two seasons. But yeah. here now, we have a very definite, even if we don't realise it at this point, a very definite goal. Like, here is the start. Like, they are literally telling us, Jamie needs to fill this book. Yeah. This is what needs and, to um, happen for Jamie's right. story I mean, to be complete. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's one of those as well, that because of the way the show is put together, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a device that I'm going to... I would wager money, if I had any, that it's in the book. Because it's the sort of thing that it would it could be set up, left alone for ages, and then tied up at the end. Whether they knew when they were writing, no, when they were writing this episode, whether they knew there was any sort of outcome for this book, any sort of ending for this book, or whether it was a case of right, we want this scene because it's funny and Joffrey's a cunt, and we can use it to push forward how far Joffrey's a cunt and how no, how little Jamie's actually respected, revered, thought of, etc. We can hammer that home doesn't necessarily need to go anywhere. And then if it does, great. Be- and because obviously the end of the books hasn't been written, so they, no, they, they must have been in talks with George oh, R. R. Martin this by this thing, point. Yeah, this, because, this I mean, is the thing. By this point, they would have known the books weren't anywhere near complete and they had to show they were rapidly approaching fucking end of source material on. However this is approached, whether it is seeded here and then they call back to it later on, or whether this was just a throwaway scene... And then when they were wrapping up season eight, they suddenly thought, well, hold on a minute, we've got this, and then called back to it then. Either way is just as good. When yeah. when something works, when the pieces of the puzzle all fit together in the story, when it clicks, it just clicks. It's magic. And that's what this is. This is the kind of shit that if I'd remember, like I was already, I've been preaching about Jamie's arc since since the show ended because a lot of people had problems with it and as, as a jamie fan i didn't i'll be perfectly honest and and the book was something especially that i liked um but had i remembered this as well like i'd be shouting it from the fucking rooftops like this is the type of shit as i say that just really really excites me this is this is top-notch storytelling and and as I said, credit where it's due. We spend a yeah, lot of time calling them out for shit. This is excellent. You know, this is the type of shit where if you're going in to pitch a project to somebody and you're going on a character arc, this is where you get to that point and you go, and then they write in the book. Boom, mic drop. Done. Your yeah. story is tied up. It is a complete arc. Done. Yeah. And it starts here. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent stuff. Um, yeah. I'd be very careful about spoilers there. I think we're okay. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're okay. I mean, yeah, I've, I've tried a few. There have been a few times in where we've been talking, I've nearly given stuff away. Um, most people will know anyway, but um, yeah. But we are trying not to spoil things if people are playing along. Arm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's all good. Um, back over to Daenerys um, and, and the new Dario. Um, yeah. He's changed faces uh, over the course of the last season. Um, this one's so much fucking better, though, isn't he? It's nice yes, and is, fucking yeah. day, isn't it? Yeah. It really yeah. is. He's so, yeah. so much better. Um, and, I mean, as, as a scene, again, I mean, I mentioned earlier on, like, no, you always see it at like, the start of any scene with Danny and you've got fucking hundreds of soldiers marching. And then, you know, just because she has them all, so they want to make sure that people remember that she has dragons and a fucking army. Right? Great. Fantastic. So then... They're, they're all standing around waiting, and she said, oh, where's Dario and Grey Room? And, oh, they're off gambling. 
So she goes off and they're, they're having this fucking pissing contest. Let's be fair. They might as well whip them out and measure them. Except they can't because Grey Worm hasn't got any. Um, so they're, they're having this little competition. And she immediately puts a stop to it. And, okay, fine. Yeah, where she's them asserting authority and all the rest of it. But then that's completely fucking circumvented anyway. Because you know, they, they, they have this, this scene and she said, oh, you can ride at the back with you know, and keep an eye on the livestock. And then the next time you see him, he's back at the front with her completely defying her orders and she doesn't give a fuck so i mean again we talk about actions having consequences there there are none where, where she's concerned um and uh, for me the, the the whole point of this scene was just look how many fucking extras we can show we haven't got look how many soldiers she's supposed to have we're just going to cgi the same block of 100 people over and over and over for her to walk past yeah. just in case you've forgotten who she is and what she's doing um so yeah just fucking annoyed me the scene yeah her, her arc in general just bores me if i'm honest at the moment really bores me um i don't think it did first time out if i'm perfectly honest but i kind of tuned out from my first time out i've got to be honest i think i, I was in I, and out I, I think there were points where i really really liked it i remember liking sort of all the stuff in season two and then this time out i've been like no i fucking hate this yeah. Um, and, and, and here, like, I, I couldn't give two fucks whenever we cut over to Danny, if I'm honest. And blessed. I think the, the problem is that because we know where it's going, um, again, without spoiling anything, um, because we know where it's going, we're now looking out for things that people banged on, oh, weren't there, they're not there, it doesn't know, it never happened, there's this big fucking twist. Um, because we've, you know, we're we're aware of it, we're now looking for things, even if we're not conscious of doing it, we're, we're, we're seeing things going, all oh, right, okay. So where you say that didn't happen, it happened there. Where you say that's not right, it happened there. And I don't know. It's just it's one of those that I mean, I, I binged the first four series when I when I first started watching it, so I kind of tuned in and out to a lot of things. Um, but yeah, this is just something I'm just like, you know what? I couldn't really care less. No, no, I couldn't give a fuck about it. Um, so yeah, moving on, we get a scene with Jamie and Brienne. Um, look, they they're great. They always are, but. This doesn't really add anything other than to just put the two of them together in in King's Landing, yeah, and, and just establish that, that you know that they're not enemies, you know. Yeah, that's, it, that's about it, it does. It it, it sets them up, it, it, and the most important thing, thing this scene does actually. I mean, we get some more of you know, where they're talking, and so they're looking down on Sansa in the in the Godwood and stuff. Um, she's talking about the vow he made about you no know, returning them to safety. He's like, well, where is safe? Because the people I was supposed to return her to are now fucking dead. And she's married to my brother. Nothing's going to happen to her while she's married to my brother. So what can I do? And again, he's... No. It sounds like he's trying to weasel out of it, but actually he's just saying, look, she's in the best place she can be because whatever, wherever else she goes, she's going to be in fucking danger. Whereas yes. at least if she's here, there will be people protecting her. And again, it just shows that he's got that sort of... There is a bit of compassion to him, but also a bit of logic as well. And it's, um, whereas it sounds like he's trying to go, oh, yeah, I'm free. I'll go through that shit. I got what I wanted. I'm free. I'm home. He's like, well, if I thought it would do any good, I'd do it. But in reality, what's it going to achieve? Um, so we get that side of him. Which, you know, we've not really seen much of him as a thinker thus far. Um, and then the fact, you know, the fact that he throws it throws it back on Brienne and saying, are you sure we're not related? Because you know, you've know, you got the you've got the hair, you've got the looks, and you're nagging me or whatever it was. And it's like, Oh, you're disappointed in me. And I thought, again, I thought that's a, that's a really nice way to close his episode out. Um, now the fact that he's just realizing that, oh well, fuck it, I might as well just carry on being me because everyone hates me anyway. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just thought it was a really, uh, really nice way to close him out. The only other important thing he does it establishes where Sansa is because she has a scene coming up which is important, and which you couldn't have, or which would be a lot harder to lead into had we not just seen her there. Yeah, very true. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I said about the other scene with, with Sansa earlier on, and we get this scene here um, where we get a call back to the drunk as well from a few seasons ago. And yes. again, it's, it's a good scene between the two of them. You know, she takes agency in the scene. Um, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful scene, and it's a start of her coming into her own again. She gets to, to rule this scene. Yeah. You know, it's it's hers. Um, but, but again, it's quite nicely shot as well. I mean, there's a there's a nice. Um, I mean, okay, it's in broad daylight, but there's a nice horror aspect to it where she she knows she's been followed. She you don't know where the guy is. We see him, but she doesn't. We hear footsteps, and there's this nice. You know, it builds up tension quite nicely as well, um, and it, it's it's handled really well. Like, I re- I quite like the scene actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a great scene. Um, not as good as the next one though. Um, I I said. Um, at the start of the episode, that some of the scenes here are, are very well directed, and and the chicken scene, as it's come to be known, yes. which we get next, is is something that sticks in my mind throughout throughout the run of the show. You know, it's it's a scene that I love and that I will talk about, and and kind of here it is. I didn't realize it was it was this early on actually, but you know, as always, Arya and the Hound are great. Yes, um, you know, we start getting. The sort of banter between the two of them, and particularly like the exchange of you know, lots of people name their swords, and the hound's response is lots of cunts. Yeah. Um, but I mean, very before fun. that, there's a, there's a thing where you know she, he, she they're riding on the horse, and you know, well, can I have my own horse because you will escape? No, why do you want your own horse? Because I'm sick of your fucking stench. You know, it, uh, there's there's this comfort between them. They can actually, no, they're actually having this back and forth now. It's not just she's not she's not his prisoner. I mean, he no, he still thinks of her as being no. His his prisoner that he's taking to ransom or to sell, um, but in reality they're like fucking parent on parent and child traveling now. That they're they're developing a relationship over this, and I, I think it's 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 really interesting. We saw bits of it last season, but also it, it didn't, no, we didn't see enough of it. I think this season it really does go somewhere, and I, I think we're really gonna get a lot of mileage out of this in the next couple of weeks. Oh yeah, definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, and, and this scene itself. Um... This episode has been, as I say, kind of this good stuff, this bad stuff has been fairly pedestrian, but this scene alone just makes up for everything. It, it's it's a wonderful scene. You know, it's well performed, it's well directed, the pacing is perfect. You know, pacing the sl- is very good. The slow kind of drip drip of are you recognizing the guy oh, and then the hound's slow ex- escalation. Am, am of, I wrong? Am I ever wrong? Is his name pullover? As in fucking be. jumper. <laughs> might be. I'm sure she calls him Pulliver. Yeah, it might be. Um, but yeah, there's, there's that. And then the, the hound's kind of slow ex- escalation of, well, it'll cost you a chicken. Right, now that's two chickens. Yeah. And then I'm going to have to eat all the fucking chickens in this place. Um, it just yeah. really ratchets the tension up. It's fucking wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yes. The hound is great in it. That, as I say, the, that build of tension and the slow escalation and the fact that it's funny when he's talking about the chickens. And then, of course, that pays off in the end when he's eating the chicken. It's yeah. it's a wonderful scene. But best of all, it gives us growth for both Arya and the hound. They yes. grow closer as a duo. We get to see that the hound really has drawn a line under things. Now he says, fuck the king and, and just, you know, openly goads these guys. Um, yeah. And, and Arya again, taking more lives, but also being opportunist about it, just yes. being smart enough to let the hound clear the room and then take the easy kills. And then when she gets them to come down on Pulliver or whatever his name is with yeah. just furious vengeance to recite those words to yeah. him. That's yeah. it, and I mean, not I mean, that's I was, I was going to say that this is these, these. She's now doubled her kill count. She's gone from one accident and one in one deliberate to now, she's 
intentionally taking three lives. Yes. Um, and she's not fucking panicking about it. She's not upset about it. She's not remorseful. She's just, you had it coming, you motherfucker. And she recites the words and she kills him in the exact same way. She takes him out of the leg and then recites the words, can you walk? Am I going to have to carry you? Uh, the thing about you know, the sword and picking her teeth and then she stabbed him through the throat exactly the same way as he killed Omi um, two years ago. Um, and yeah, it was it was really good. And it, it, again, it sets her up that we know, we've had lots of talk and she's sort of started reading off this list, which we've had her do like twice and then we haven't heard about it for a while. So it's her just sort of growing into this thing of actually, yeah, I've got this list and these were people who wronged me and I was going to kill them because I'm, I'm fucking 11 and full of piss and vinegar. Actually, all of a sudden, she's like, right, okay, I, I'm actually going to start fucking killing people. I've been wronged left, right and centre. I have the means, I have the ability and when I have the opportunity I'm going to start fucking slitting throats. And this is a starting point for her and obviously this takes this is going to start her off on her journey um, over to Bravos and, and back again. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a wonderful scene and a wonderful, wonderful start to the season. We've Look, this episode, I mean I, we could talk about this scene all night. It's, it's, as I say, it's perfectly paced. It's very, very funny. It's very well performed. It, it adds growth to the characters but this episode in general i think at its best at its key moments does that for so many of our yeah. characters it sets them off on their journey so yes this sets aria off um we've also now had jamie set off on his journey as well properly yeah. you know yeah. this, this sansa's on her way as well so you know whilst this has been that kind of greatest hits formula again as you said at the start you know we've had Oberyn introduced and, we, and we've seen his journey like they're a bit more confident now in their storytelling and it does feel like somebody's almost given them that little boot up the arse that says like look this needs to move forward a little bit now and so yeah. they started doing it so what could have been that kind of lackluster meandering opening that we're used to getting instead is actually a fairly well put together episode and one that yeah. actually sows a lot of seeds for things to come so yeah i think you're right in what you're saying that I wouldn't necessarily say i'm excited um by it and, and to see where it goes but it's definitely piqued my interest again yeah so yeah um, as as it goes it's it's a good opener i think yeah and i mean i i mentioned earlier on this there's this um circular reference thing with the swords as we get um, ned's sword being melted down um at the um at the beginning um so the starks are losing it losing the last of their swords effectively but then right at the end aria gets hers back so it's you no, know, it's yeah. kind of like this sort of death and rebirth type of thing. And if you're looking at symbolism and metaphors, which I'm sure they weren't fucking aware of, um, but if they were credit to them, it it's it's a very literary thing as opposed to a TV thing. But it does sort of work. It does sort of carry that there's no, there, there is this um, continuation, if you like, and you know, it, it it's it's no, it's it's hope for the future sort of thing. So it, it does it 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 works. I can see, I can see why it's there, and I think that maybe in a little bit heavy handed, the, the the opening scene was clumsy, as we said, but I think that. All in all, as, as a device, it is moving things along a bit, and it, you know, it, it does suggest. And we've talked, you know, we've talked about the Stark line being gone. I mean, no, uh, Ned's dead, baby. Um, Rob's dead. Everybody thinks that Bran and Rickon are dead, so it's only the girls left. But there's chance that something could still happen because all of a sudden the girls are on their path, and they're you know, they're going to start moving along a bit now. So it, I mean, it's you no. Know, as far as the Starks go, I mean, the Starks were the center of season one, season two, and three. They were bit part players. And now we, you know, we get the impression. Actually, yeah, there may have been a reason for featuring them so heavily in the first place. They might actually go somewhere. I don't know. Maybe I read too many books, but you know, maybe yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm choosing to read that into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. As, uh, as far as episodes go, um, I, 
said, I wouldn't say it's the best episode we've seen. I wouldn't say it's the the most complete, the most comprehensive episode, but it's certainly good enough that it carries us uh, on to next week. It's, you know, there's, there's enough new stuff has been introduced. There's new threat in the form of Oberyn um, and these fucking cannibal um, free folk um, or wildlings, or whatever you want to call them. So it's you know, it's certainly a good starting point, and you can tell that there's um, there's kind of a, a renewed interest in in developing the story, which you didn't have in seasons two and three. Um, which kind of fits in with um, George R. R. Martin so starting this as the start of a new trilogy. So, yeah, I think it worked quite well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as as always, um, we'd love to know what people think. Um, I say we're, no, we, we, do this for, we do this for our enjoyment primarily, but obviously you know, if we, 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 we want people to, to engage with us as well. If you agree, if you disagree, if you think we're idiots, so be it. Now, let us know, get in touch um, with all the usual channels. Um, uh, on Facebook with the Double Up Podcast Network, on Twitter at DD Podcast Net. Um, you can get um, this, this show, all the episodes of this show, or our other shows uh, on iTunes, Spotify, um, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, download them, give us a like, give us a review, um, tell us what you think. Uh, but until next time, game over.